So my lesson tonight is uh, first-hand faith, and we just read 1 Corinthians 15, 58, uh, which is this great passage, and I actually mentioned it the other day, but if you keep reading, and in the original text, there are no chapter divisions. And so not only does Paul go on this great, long rant about resurrection, and he ends it with the work you're doing now is highly important and will not be wasted. What does he then say in chapter 16, 1? Now let's, let's talk about that cash that we actually have to get to the church here. It's a highly practical Right? It's like, God has raised Jesus from the dead, therefore, we need to raise money for the church. Right? And he's actually saying we need to do things practically now to serve the poor now, to help the lonely, to help the lost now, in light of what Jesus has done in the past. And so, we're going to talk today about spiritual discipline number one, but I won't reveal it just now to build some tension. Um, at about 30, 30 not 30. In about uh, five minutes, we'll we'll reveal it. So um, right after this commercial break. Um, But no, we want to talk a little bit about about spiritual discipline in general. The word discipline is not necessarily an exciting word. Uh, What are you talking about at church? Discipline. It's awesome. We're just disciplining it up, right? It's uh, not a popular word. Uh, And I can't think of any real sense. Maybe, Maybe within sports, maybe. Uh, but even then, like, I don't know if it's that popular within sports. With the word discipline, not a popular word. And actually, superficiality is kind of the curse of our day. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, everything's about seeming versus reality. And the doctrine of our day is instant satisfaction, shallowness. And that's a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intellectual people or talented people, but for deep people. And one of the greatest difficulties is to get deep in our faith with Jesus, to have deep convictions. What do you believe? Actually, you have a deep conviction about something. And in a world where relativity rules, that is not common. One of the other problems with the word discipline is it can seem like a drudgery or a slog or difficult or painful. But the goal of all discipline, the end goal of all discipline, not just the end goal, but the goal within every discipline is joy, is the freedom that comes. We've talked about this, this quite often, but the discipline of practicing saxophone every night for two hours, if it means you miss out on freedom, you'll have the, you'll have the real freedom of being able to have, be a great saxophonist one day, yeah. right? And so if you actually dip, put in discipline, if you have discipline in your body, you exercise, you work out, you actually will live longer, right? So there's a freedom yeah. that comes from discipline. Now we get that. And so I think, but I think we have to apply that with, with the same spiritual gifts. The other thing about spiritual discipline is we go, oh, that's for like the spiritual uh, giants. That's for like the spiritual elite, the people in the church who are just the top 1% of the church. That's not for me. Spiritual discipline is not for me, you know, but the spiritual gifts, according to, to a guy named Foster, he says the spiritual gifts are actually for all of the common situations in life. It's for the overwhelmed wife. Discipline is for the anxious teen for the new Christian, and for the old Christian. That spiritual discipline is for all of us. And it doesn't take a bunch of time necessarily. It doesn't, it's not that we, and a lot of times we get so obsessed with changing the world. How can we change the world? What can we do? But like Leo Leo Tolstoy said, we're all obsessed with changing the world, but none of us wants to change ourselves. Also, Michael Jackson said that. But Leo Tolstoy said it first. But Jackson said it, uh, it, it, yeah, with some more music attached, yeah. The man in the mirror. Remember that? God, okay. But the goal, 
is great discipline. Romans 7 talks about the slavery of ingrained habits that we actually, before we become Christians, we are in a realm of flesh. We are in a world of just uh, of, of consistent sin. And a lot of times when you ask somebody who's en- uh, engrossed in sin, you can ask them, is it hard to sin? Is it difficult? And usually the answer is no, it's actually really easy to sin. That's why I can't stop doing it um, consistently. Because in reality, a lot of sin is just ingrained habits. And when you help someone become a disciple, for a lot of you have done that, and for some of us to spend some time, but I do want to, I do hope that we all can be in a Bible study with a seeker to actually see the conversion because you realize there are many lights that turn on, but there are many that will actually take many months after the baptism to help turn on. And sometimes we get disillusioned or discouraged because we haven't, how come I haven't, but some, sometimes we've got this radical sin in our life. We need radical repentance. And it's a habit that actually has, has to become a, a new habit, right? And sometimes we can feel trapped. Uh, and a lot of times our usual response to patterns of sin is a, a, a large, aggressive frontal assault, right? All right, willpower, stop, don't. And, and don't get me wrong, there's a part of dealing with sin that is amputation. Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut that thing off. That is the first step. But sometimes if we just go about with willpower, we will, we will always fail. It will never be strong enough. And we can, willpower has no control. The other thing that the willpower has no control over is sometimes it will actually succeed in changing uh, what we're able to control. But willpower has no control over the careless word in the moment of weakness. Yeah. Willpower has no control over when you are overwhelmed, yeah. when you are struggling, when you've had five or six or seven stressful events in a row, then the real you comes out. <clears throat> right? Jesus said, overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. And so it's not just about how can I, all right, yes, I love, yes, come to church. All right. You can actually kind of see it sometimes in people like they're kind of straining to be and do the right thing. Even during songs, you know, sing the song, right? Don't, you know, just kind of do the right thing, be the right thing. But there's like a physical strain or a willpower. And, and, And sometimes I think we think that's just what Christianity is. But the disciplines actually get us to a place where the spirit works so that we can actually desire Good, And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. It's sort of, it can be a perilous road, the road of disciplines. It's sort of like this room. On one side, we have, if we stray too far to one side, we get in trouble. If we stray too far to the other, we, we get in trouble um, with, with the goal of disciplines. These, these challenges, these things to do in our life that we can go about, whether it be reading, praying, fasting, meditating, you name it. On one side is the grace is a license side, right? I'm actually going to put in little or no effort because I've been saved. I've, I'm already saved. I'm going to heaven someday. Let me just right, fall off this side of, of let me do what I want. The other side is also just as dangerous. It's the brownie point side. It's the side where you think, because I am disciplined, God loves me. Because I am having quiet times, God loves me. Because I am doing these things, God loves me. This is the legalism side. And both are really difficult, right, of, of, of getting out because we get sometimes we get into the discipline. And the first thing is like, I did it. And then sometimes we can actually make the discipline about pleasing God. And I know that it's a difficult thing, but that's why we have discipling groups every other week so that people can can help you stay on that that, that rigorous, difficult road to make sure you're not just like, well, eh, that's just who I am. Whoa. Or go, hey, yeah, I'm something. Whoa. You know, like both those were helping each other stay on that path. 
to a place of great grace, great effort, and great joy. And it is so difficult. It is so difficult. And it is not common. We're having a Bible study right now with a young man at one of the universities. And he's, he goes to a, a group, a Christian group on, on, on campus three times a week. And we got together and we talked. And there were some things he confessed. Some big sin. Big, big, big sin. Addiction type sin. Years, years, years. And I said, how often do you meet with this group? He said, three times a week. I said, how long? Ever since I got to school. Have you ever talked about this with them? No. No. And I said, why? I said, why not? He said, I just, I didn't feel like, it didn't feel like the right atmosphere. And I said, have you ever been asked about this before? No. This is, it is difficult. Because it's going to cause us to actually get into each other's lives, but to do so with grace. But we have to. We can't pitter-patter around these things or the poor guy would go to church three times a week for his whole life and still be ingrained with habitual sin and be a slave and never be able to experience the joy of the kingdom if we don't actually expose that to grace. Okay. So first one, discipline number one, meditation. We had a meditation group last last summer uh, as we studied these out as a church. But what I want to do tonight is just give you some flyover basics, some what, why, when, where, how of each discipline. But you must know a couple things. What do you got to know? Thanks for asking. One of the things you have to know is that disciplines are not the goal. Right? Disciplines are the way to get to the goal. We talked about lifting the sails last week, right? The Holy Spirit is like wind. Right? We don't cause the boat to go. We just lift the sails and the the wind does the work. But we got to lift the sails. We got to be, we got to put ourselves in a position where the Holy Spirit is going to work. It's not magic. We can't just go throughout our lives worshiping everything else but God and then wonder why we actually look a lot like the things we worship. One of the laws of theology is that you begin to look a lot like whatever you worship. And if we worship these sins and then wonder why God's not in our life, it's no real surprise that we're actually turning into what we worship. So we want to be a group of people who are worshiping, who are worshiping uh, God. Because we do, we all deeply crave, deep down, we do want to do good. But there's a real risk if we go out there into that world, out of that door, into that world, and try to engage in mission or fellowship or our personal integrity uh, without being worshipful of God without meditating on God, it will simply fail. We will all fall flat on our face because we will be doing it on our own strength and by our own agenda. We must reorient to God. Then we can, as a ministry, as a church, as a family, be able to do what the spirit wants in our community and not simply what we want. So meditation, what is it? You put your fingers together and you go hum and then you're meditating. That's the end of the lesson. So let's break up into our... Nope, that's not what it is. We'll go through the what. We'll go through the what. Meditation is simple. Are you ready? It is simply listening to God's voice and obeying his word. That's too fast. Too simple. Meditation is simply listening to God's voice and obeying his word. I wish it was more complicated. I really do. I know you guys want that. But it's really not. It's really not that complicated. Listening to God's voice and obeying his word. But it's difficult. Why? Because that's you. It's difficult. We live in a world of noise and hurry and stress and manyness and muchness. 
uh, we, we rarely are satisfied. Psychiatrist Carl Jung once remarked, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Uh, and when we get so caught up in this frenetic pace of life, it is difficult to slow down and just listen. What does God want me to do? What does God actually want me to do? And it is this continual focus upon obedience and faithfulness that most clearly distinguishes Christian meditation from its Eastern counterparts. A lot of times we think about meditation being Buddhist. A lot of Buddhists in Charlottesville. I talked with some of them. But a lot, a lot of Buddhism is really about uh, meditating to detach from the world. It's all about detachment. Detach from earthly things. Christianity, Jesus says, don't just detach, but you need to attach. Jesus says, if you, if you take a demon out of a guy, if you don't replace it with good, seven more are going to come and fill it. And so it's not just about how can we detach, but it's also what do we fill our mind with? Who do we fill our heart with? And it is this continual focus, this, this, this attachment that distinguishes meditation in Christianity to meditation in uh, Buddhism or Confucianism or something like this. We'll talk a little bit more about what, uh, how and why we'll do this. But really, it is just listening to God's voice and striving to obey it. The uh, why of meditation is simply this. Revelation 3, a lot of us read this passage or have heard this passage. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will eat and they, will, and they with me. You know, Billy Graham famously attached this to a conversion, a prayer for the, to, for the lost. This passage was never written to people that were lost. This passage was written to a church of people that had become part of the body of Christ already. Jesus is telling already converted Christians, I stand at the door and I knock. Let me in. Why do we meditate? To spend time with Jesus. To spend time with Jesus. To connect, to commune with Christ. Now, this is hard for me because I... I'm kind of like, uh, who, was it that, who was it that had the brain? The Tin Man didn't have a brain. No, 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 the Scarecrow. He didn't have a brain, did he? Mm. But the Tin Man, he had a brain but no heart. That's what it was. And he was kind of rigid. So I'm the Tin Man, I think. So I, I, I have trouble connecting emotionally with things, but I'm very good at connecting intellectually. One of my strengths coming into, when I, when I got baptized and came out of that dirty jacuzzi water in 2003... One of the things I brought into the family of God was my great strength of loving the word. One of the things I also brought was my great weakness of emotional intelligence. Right? She, uh, when your wife laughs a little too hard. Uh, emotional intelligence. But so it's, it's interesting when I, we were talking about this in our D group. Hey, D group plug. Our D group last week. As I was sharing that, I love reading, but I struggle to pray. Another person was saying, well, I love praying, but I struggle to read. And it's easy when we enter the body of Christ to just kind of dismiss the things, you know, that we're, that we're not good at. Now, amen, like I do think we want to run to our strengths. We'll talk more about that at a future midweek. I actually have a pretty cool personality test that kind of helps you locate your spiritual gifts. So we'll talk about that later. Teaser, right? A lot of teasers tonight. But one of the things I think that's interesting for me, my struggle is that I can engage with Jesus uh, intellectually, logically, through Scripture. But I don't engage my emotions with Jesus. I don't try to... It's really hard for me to journal. Like, I can write a research paper and get an A, but I, when I try to journal, it's like a third grader writing fragments. It's just felt sad yesterday uh, with like a capital Y or something. Like, felt, felt sad, felt embarrassed, don't know. 
Talk to you later. Um, it's really, really hard for me to do that. But one of the great things about meditating that I've seen is meditating because it causes you to slow down. It causes you to actually engage other parts of your heart with Jesus that you wouldn't normally be your first response. So to, to, to think about, to feel these things and to connect with Jesus, he stands at the door and he knocks. He wants to come in and commune with us. And he really wants to, what's he say? I want to come in and eat with you. And having table fellowship in the, uh, in, for Jews, for, in, the, in Judaism, was all about connection, intimacy, vulnerability, family. Yeah. Jesus says, I want to come in and have a meal with you. Mm-hmm. I want to connect with you, right? And so meditation's special, and it's, I'm actually looking at it before we look at reading scripture, because I do think it is a difficult one, but it's also more of a disposition yeah. of, of not just like letting the Bible, what does the Bible say about because when we read the Bible, we'll read it in its context. But this is about reading the Bible and applying it to us personally. In meditation, we are growing into what Thomas Akempis calls a familiar friendship with Jesus. What happens in meditation is that we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in our heart. Inward fellowship of this kind transforms the inner personality. Now we're getting somewhere. We really want to stop being a person full of bitterness with just a nice veneer of kindness. The second your kid snaps, like you, you blow up, you're bitter, you're angry, you're, you're discouraging, you're, you're negative. The second anything happens, because that's the real you coming out. Well, the real you, Jesus wants to change that real you. He's not just satisfied with, okay, I said a prayer, I, I did a thing, now I'm a Christian, I'm just going to kind of wander and worship other gods. Jesus says, no, I stand at the door, I'm here. I'm here, I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you are not willing. I am here, where are you? I am willing. And that is half the battle is just knowing that Jesus is already there. He stands and he knocks. The other verse here I already mentioned, but Jesus says in Luke 11, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. You know, meditation is not just about detachment. It's about attachment. Detachment is not enough. We must go on to attachment. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons I call this lesson firsthand faith is I think we have a, a struggle. Is that we're too content with secondhand faith. You love getting your faith from somebody else. I love this podcast. 99% of my Jesus is through somebody else. Right. I love this book. I love this music. I love we got. Let's go to Jesus ourselves. Have a first hand faith. You tell me what you think of Jesus. Let's tell each other what we learned about Jesus on our own as we walked around that lake behind our house for the hundredth time. And what Jesus made clear to us. Now, those things aren't bad. I love all those things. Right. We can use those as tools, but we cannot be satisfied with a second hand faith. Jesus stands at your heart and knocks. He doesn't stand, and this is preaching to myself, he doesn't stand at C.S. Lewis's heart and knocks, and I just go off C.S.'s stuff. I gotta go to Jesus my own self. And I can use some of C.S.'s stuff, as I have, many of you know, but I gotta go to Jesus myself, and and therein lies the the deepness. Mm -hmm. Proverbs 20 says, the matters of a person's heart are deep waters. Are deep waters. There's a lot of depth to us. I think we all... We can probably see that. Even in different seasons of our life, different things come out. There's so much there. And so there's always more for Jesus to be able to help us see and help us know. 
The next thing is when. Pray without ceasing. Really short verse there for you. Three words. But when to meditate? All the time. All the time. So I think one of the things is, well, I don't have enough time. I've got 19 children. And they all live in my room. And I work 80 hours a week. And I have no time. And I cook. And I, yeah, we, and a lot of us are busy. I don't, don't get it twisted. I, I respect that. A lot of us are busy. But we can meditate throughout the day. You're five minutes early. All right. Sit in the car. There's a park bench. All right. Here we go. If we, can be, if we can begin to realize that heaven is not far away, way out there, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring your kingdom in heaven here now, today. I see the faith, face of Jesus in that homeless man. I see the face of Jesus in this sister who is struggling in sin, that, that, the, that the reality of the kingdom is here and now that we can meditate and get to know Jesus, that he is here now. And that reality is something we need, is worth reminding yeah. because we so easily forget. Thomas Merton writes, meditation has no point and no reality unless it is firmly rooted in everyday life. Unless it is uh, rooted in everyday life. I think about monks in those monasteries who meditated. I mean, those guys didn't know nothing. They weren't in the world. They weren't walking around, like, engaging with these difficulties, right? The Quakers were really well known for meditating. But one of the things that uh, William Penn said about um, the Quakers that was the great gift is that meditation actually emboldened them to go back into the world. Meditation didn't cause them to go bring them away from the world. Meditation actually helped them go back into the world and engage with the world. If we are constantly being swept off our feet with frenetic Uh, and activity, we will be unable to be attentive at the moment of inward silence. A mind that is harassed and fragmented by external affairs is hardly prepared for meditation. One of the greatest quotes from this book uh, that I pulled some of this stuff from, The Celebration of Discipline, uh, is that one of the first things he says is, you cannot learn how to meditate from a book. (laughs) And I was reading a book about meditation which I think is a great way to sell books. Um, You cannot learn about meditating from a book. The next thing he said was, you can learn about meditating by meditating. One of the the greatest difficulties of these disciplines is going to be our uh, our prejudice. Your prejudice. I'm not doing that. Not for me. I've done that with meditation. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I'm not even going to try. The hardest part is just trying. Just trying. And don't be surprised if it takes four, five, six times of actually getting nothing out of it. But trying, trying different things, figuring out what works for you. What, what, Jesus stands at the door and knocks, but there's effort involved. Let's not give up. Meditation is of great, great, great importance. Last one, I think, right? Or is it where? Yeah, two more. Where? If it is possible to find some place that looks out on a lovely landscape so much the better, it is best to have one designated place than, uh, than rather hunting for a different spot each day. I remember when I first moved here, um, Phil Booker was uh, overseeing, he led the church here for a bit with his wife. One of the things he always said was every time he moves to a new place, the first thing he looks for is a prayer spot. And when my wife and I got married, we, got, we lived in the Commonwealth, and there's a, uh, Rashawn knows, there's a little park right there, a little walking space, that was my prayer spot. And then when we moved down on Fifth Street, I, would, I learned this was not uh, illegal later, but I would walk over to Redfields and walk that lake for my prayer spot. And then someone said that I wasn't a resident. 
so I couldn't do it. Um, so I had to find a new prayer spot. But now, when we live up north of town, uh, I had to walk. I almost got hit by a couple cars one time, just walking across that, that traffic there on, um, coming up on uh, uh, McIntyre. But anyway, I found a new spot with less traffic, but down by, uh, down by Penn Park and walking around there. And, and it's just cool to find, find your spot. Find your spot and go walk or connect. And we live in a place where it is so easy. Praise God we don't live in a concrete jungle. How are there disciples in Oakland? Nobody knows. Um, but <laughs> we have this great, sorry, sorry, Oakland. Um, but we have this great opportunity around us to connect with God. Remember that, that great hymn, This is My Father's World, right? This is My Father's World. Uh, it says, uh, this is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings. And round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. The birds, their carols raise the morning light. The lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand, the wonders wrought. And when we, when we actually see the blades of grass move, right? And we see the flower petal bloom and we see nature turn, that there is something in that meditation of listening to God as he moves and he groans in creation, as he brings forth this beautiful creation that he's brought forth. We see it and we are reminded that our sin is, is not so big. And we're reminded that if God can make the, red, the redwoods of California, that if God can do what he's doing in all of nature, then surely he can work within us. That meditation is about listening to God in nature as well as in scripture. One of the most powerful things you can do is to be able to connect with God and to listen in those times. And by the way, don't expect like revelations each time, okay? Every morning could be emotionally exhausting for your spouse. I had another revelation, right? We're homeschooling. Next morning, public school. Next day, charter. All right, no, stop going on prayer walks. Um, but it's not revelations, right? Sometimes it is just little guidance. It is little guidance, right? And sometimes it is just getting out of the yelling and screaming and loudness that allows you to just sit and listen. And allow God. I know sometimes that scares us because we go, oh, but Drew, my heart is scary. Let Jesus in. Let Jesus in, okay? We have discipling groups. You'll know if you're way off base, all right? If someone's off the deep end and saying things, well, God told me to do this crazy thing. Okay, I think all of us, that's, that's a risk we'll take. But realize, too, that it's not just allowing God into your heart of your fear, but allowing God into your heart of imagination. When you read about the 5,000, Jesus feeding the 5,000, Slow down, taste the salt in the air from the, from the sea, right? Feel the hunger of being hungry for bread. Uh, uh, look and see and connect. And, t- and what, would it, what would it have felt like to feel the blades of grass beneath you and your children looking around? Is, what's Jesus going to do next? They're kind of allowing our emotions. Our emotions, God, God created them. And sometimes we reserve them. We read the Bible and we, we don't connect intellectually because we're not, we're kind of, we're cutting off our legs. We're, we're, we're we're not allowed, allowing some of the strongest motivations in our heart. Love is an emotion, is a connection, is a, there's a deep affection for Christ, right? One of the things that this guy uh, named uh, Clive Staples Lewis said, um, that's C.S. Lewis, um, is he said, and not that I would ever build my faith off this secondhand guy, but one of the things that he said is that when you're, when you're someone you're in love with speaks something beautiful to you, you don't analyze the words. You don't analyze which word they chose and why. You just, you, you feel it, you hear it, you feel it, and something changes in you. There's a, there's a reality there. And sometimes it's enough to just not try to analyze the scriptures, just listen. Yeah. 
and feel it and connect with it and the power within. Last one, how? Some of you are going, that's the most important one. How, right? It is impossible to learn how to meditate from a book, right? We learn to meditate by meditating. If it is possible to find some place that we can go to to connect, so much the better. Whereas the study of scripture centers on exegesis, basically finding out the meaning of the text, meditation is all about internalizing the meaning of the message. It's personal, right? And so think about this, you know, like when we got De Niro there, but one of the things when we read the Bible with meditation that's different, when I read the Bible to study and it says, seek first the kingdom, uh, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will wear. When I'm studying, my first thought is, what did that mean to them? Right? It's proper exegesis. I can't make the Bible mean to me what it never meant to them. But when I'm meditating on it, I'm personalizing it. I'm pulling it to, wow, for them, priorities, fear, shelter. What were their greatest concerns? And then pulling it then after that to, you talking to me, Jesus? Like what? You talking to me? Like what? To personalize that connection of what does this mean to me? And how can I connect with this verse, the reality of this verse? And sometimes it will take a lot of time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer suggested to new Christians to read one scripture every day for a week. And that's how he would move through the Bible. Slow, slow, repetitive, slow down, right? Slow down. Stop trying to go. Everything we do is fast and I blaze through this book. Slow down. It's like I'm having quiet times. How'd you do? Well, I read Mark 1, you know, seven times this week. You didn't finish the book? How could you? No, I'm really trying to get it. And every time I read it, it hits me different. It hits me different. And the sixth time I realized, ah, I never saw that before. Right? I never saw that before. Just as you analyze the words of somebody you love, just as you do not analyze the words of somebody you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart just as Mary did. That is all. That is meditation. Just as you do not, I just repeated that. That is all, that is meditation. And so as we think, and that's really the, the lesson for tonight, to have a firsthand faith and to practice this. One of the things we're doing as a church is BP plus one. Okay, we talked about it last week. BP plus one. So BP is this idea that of all the disciplines, there really are, there was the one-two punch, right? It's the jab and the cross, okay? The jab and the cross of being a disciple is reading scripture and prayer, those are crucial. Those are valuable. Those are, those are an everyday thing. Now, the rest of the disciplines, we encourage people to pick one to go after. So maybe after tonight, you want to you choose meditation as your one. Maybe you want to choose fasting as your one or solitude as your one or fa- fasting as, as your one. But pick, so BP, so the goal is as a church that we are all reading our Bible every day, but we're also going after an extra discipline Kind of for fun. Which one do you want to go after? Which one do you want to put in life? And our discipling groups are going to be built around that. How's it going with BP plus one? Right? How's it going? Thank you. That'll become a thing, I'm sure. Um, But how's it going with this? And what we will see, what we will see is that we will not have to try to be evangelistic people. We will want to evangelize. We will not have to try with all our heart to be kind. We will want and desire to be kind. We will not have to try. How can I be a good parent? You will want to be. Your heart will change 
And it is in those dark moments at 4.30 in the morning or up late at night as you struggle to stay awake. It is in those moments that God is not going to see those moments wasted, that they have value for this life and the next. They're not just going to be lost into eternity. Because the great goal is that we make it personal. It has to be a firsthand faith. It has to be. Otherwise, we're going to keep baptizing people, try to convince them to be Christians, but they'll just see us as, as, as shallow, superficial, you know, and, and we won't really be able to take care of them the way that we should. And we'll never be able to handle more than one or two baptisms. Because, but 90 people, that hopefully could baptize 90 other people. It doesn't sound crazy that you could share your faith and not share your faith, evangelize, share the faith that's in there. It's all in there. Share that. Pull it out. What is it? Oh, it's, I'm already doing it. I'm already going after fasting. Here it is. I'm going after meditation. Here it is. Share what you're already doing. And we will actually not have to worry about growth. We will simply scatter the seed and God will make it grow. We will not have to worry about how do I deal with my addiction to sexual purity. If you are going after disciplines and pulling other people in, then God will grant you victory. And you will be launched into a life of great effort, incredible effort, a grace-filled effort. And we will be able to be just like Paul, as he says, one of my favorite passages, where Paul explains in Galatians 2, For through the law I died to the law so that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live, I live in the body, in this thing. I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Paul is not falling off the road, is he? I got God's grace. I'm not setting it aside. But I also realize it's not me working. It's God working within me. Oh, and why do I do it? Because he died for all of us. He didn't die for you. He died for me. He died for me, the worst of sinners, a blasphemer, a murderer. He died for me. And it is in those moments where we are able to grow up into the fullness of Christ. And I want to encourage us as a church to let's be a community of people who worship the same God. Let's worship God together. Let's, do, let's pull, pull each other into those lives. And I think we'll be amazed when we walk out of those doors, we engage in the, in the mission of saving the lost and loving the poor. And there's a lot of disciplines. There's like a lot more. We'll talk about them. They're not the goal. But just as Jesus didn't come down and connect with you because of his talent or his ability, he lowered himself and became obedient to death on a cross. Jesus connected with us because he lowered himself in order to get to know us and die for our sin. That's how we fell in love with Jesus. Let's not forget our first love in the same way that Paul didn't forget his first love. And so, amen, we'll, we'll close out with that. We're gonna close out with a great song. Actually, we just, um, oh, we could maybe sing it again. I have a different song in there. But we'll close out with a song. We'll pass the trays for benevolent contribution. Um, uh, and we will wrap up with a prayer. <laughs>